welcome to Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders, the podcast that takes you deep into the minds of the masters behind the numbers. Join host Chad Dean as he connects with financial leaders as they share their journeys so that we can gain valuable insight from their failures and triumphs. Get ready for candid conversations, behind the scenes anecdotes, and practical wisdom that will transform the way you think about your career in finance. Put down the balance sheet and listen in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Financial Footsteps, where we explore the background and the careers of financial leaders for the benefit of those that want to follow in their footsteps. I am Chad Dean, your host. I've been a recruiter for 27 years, and I am the owner and CEO of Integrated Management Resources, a Phoenix-based executive recruiting company and also the sponsor of Financial Footsteps. And I am very excited today to have Adam Miller as a guest. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chad. Thank you. We were just talking about the Diamondbacks before this, so I got to give a shout since this is... uh, uh, right after the Diamondbacks uh, earned a spot into the World Series. So let's go Snakes. Uh, Adam already has tickets <laughs> yes. to the series, so I am super jealous, and I might be jumping on after this, figure <laughs> out how I can get some myself. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Uh, tell us, you know, let's start with your background uh, as far as where you grew up, what you're doing now, and and we'll go from there. Thanks. I actually grew up on the East Coast. I was born in uh, Connecticut. And uh, spent my whole youth and went to school uh, near Boston in Waltham, Massachusetts. It's at Bentley University. Mm-hmm. And uh, started working back east. And then I moved here in 87, was transferred out and uh, here, thankfully, with my employer. And I've never left. Love Arizona. I love the weather. It's, uh, it's a beautiful place to live. You love it more now than you did probably 45 days ago when it was, or even <laughs> last week when it was still 103 in yeah. the middle of October. It's our winter. <laughs> we don't have to shovel sunshine is what they say. Exactly. You don't have shovel heat. So uh, currently right now, uh, what are you doing? I am the uh, CFO and executive vice president of Baron Lighting Group. Uh, it is a commercial lighting company. Uh, it's been in business for 50 years. We're celebrating 50 years this year. I haven't been there the whole 50. I've been there about a quarter of the time. But uh, it is uh, based in Glendale, Arizona. And we do actually manufacture products there uh, that are made in the USA. And we also design and distribute uh, all kinds of commercial lighting, emergency lighting, exit lighting, things for people get a lot of rebates for reducing their cost of electricity and LEDs. Definitely do that. Gotcha. So before we get into the the whole work side of things and your career and all that, um, what about family? What do you do for fun? We actually like to travel a lot. We hike. Unfortunately, I'm not hiking right now. I have a little bit of a, it's called a TIT band issue. Oh, So yeah, uh, getting that straightened out. But uh, my wife and I like to hike either here or we go up to Flagstaff when it's too hot. And we hike up there. Uh, we love to travel all over the world and Unfortunately, traveling uh, overseas may not be a great idea right now, but we're looking for our next adventure. Awesome. So you grew up in in Connecticut, which I love Connecticut. You know what I love about Connecticut is how green it is and how growing up in Phoenix, we are on a grid system for our roads. And in Connecticut, they go wherever they felt like going and around creeks and uh, in between hills. And I just I think it's so beautiful there. Well, here in, in Arizona, when you get directions that go east-west, you can do that on a grid. Left-right 
Yeah. Because you don't really know what direction you are because the streets go in circles. So it's interesting. <laughs> so you went to Bentley College and you got a degree in? Accounting. Accounting. Very rare these days, but very uh, more common uh, when you're going to school? It was. It was uh, an interesting uh, journey uh, getting into accounting. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, the counselor asked me what I was interested in for college. And I said, I like business. Uh, I want to make money. And um, I'm good, really good with numbers. It was math. It was math was a hobby. And he said, well, try accounting. So my senior year, I actually took a bookkeeping course, like a freshman bookkeeping course in high school. And I loved it. I just, like a fish of water, I said, this is easy. I get it. And uh, some people get accounting. Some people don't. It doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. It just has to do with your brain wired to understand it. And uh, so then I applied to business schools uh, back east and uh, got into Bentley and uh, did that. And I really had no idea what I was getting into. I just knew I liked numbers. I liked dealing with money and business. I started working when I was like 13, being a dishwasher, and always knew I had to provide for myself. So I told my counselor, I said, I want a career that I can be a professional. But unfortunately, I can only afford four years of school. I, I just don't know if I can. I said, I have to be able to graduate in four years and get a professional job. And that's why he sort of pointed me toward accounting. Well, that very fortuitous to have that particular advisor, right? Yes, yes. He, uh, well, I had to take one class to graduate my senior year in high school. So he made sure I took the English class in sixth period. So I couldn't goof off and get in trouble <laughs> my senior year. So I filled it up with all other, like the accounting class and some other classes, just electives to keep myself busy uh, until sixth period. So it was, it was, uh, I was not happy about that, but it worked out well. I remember when I had, I took an accounting class my freshman year of college and I had zero interest in it. I, did, I was like, I'm just taking this because I have to. I ended up it, it, so you say it clicks with some and it doesn't with others for whatever reason it clicked with me, balance sheets, income statements, all that just came so naturally to me. It was the easiest A I got. And I was so glad when I got done that I took the <laughs> class. Cause was, I think it probably was the only A I got my freshman year of college. I was, I was having a really good time. So <laughs> yeah, I had a great first professor it was, I think we were his first class. He was teaching at Bentley. Um, and he was really good. And by the time I got to my senior year, he was now teaching senior classes so he was teaching an auditing class. And a lot of us in that class had been interviewing already with a lot of the big firms. You either go public or you go private. So you had those. And I actually took an internship in private. And I saw what that was. I said, I'm going to go to a public because I don't think I want to grow up in that environment. I want to be doing different things. So I took a job as an auditor in public accounting firm. So I'm sitting in this class all comfortable. And the teacher says, well, how many of you have taken jobs with you know big firms being auditors? I want to raise his hand. How many people know what auditing is? Why'd you take a job? Because you haven't even had the class yet. Don't even know what you're going to be doing. Because we thought we were supposed to. We followed the path. They said, this is the path you should take. Mm -hmm. So it's either audit, taxes, public, private. And so I said, well, audit, public. That's what I'll do. So I got a job. Everybody was a little shocked that I got a job where I did. So it was, uh, it was fun. I had not as long hair as I have now, but I was a lifeguard, tan all the time, long hair, just a hangout guy. And they're like, you got into Arthur Anderson. So I interviewed and got a job with Arthur Anderson out of school. That was my first, first job. Yeah. Uh, what did, what did, uh, the accounting people think of the finance people back then? We didn't understand what they were really doing. They were good partiers. Um, <laughs> all the finance people I knew were just really off the hook. 
And they seemed to be having a really good time. And us accountants were just like, oh, I'm going to study for this course. They were always happy. But now I understand, I think that, you know, I probably would have added more finance classes into my a college career if I had known what finance was really about. And again, it wasn't, you know, I started off in the accounting path. When you're young, people give you a recommendation. You see a bunch of other people doing it. You think you're doing the right thing. And, and you could be, not right or wrong. But you look back and you say, hmm, now I understand what those guys are doing and why they call it finance versus accounting. You know, we thought they all wanted to go work in a bank or something like that, you know, and just, you know, be a bank teller and count money. Uh, it's a lot more to it than that. Right. So you get into Arthur Anderson and you looked around. Were you, were, were you where you were supposed to be? Yes. I did pick the last start date so I can be a lifeguard for that summer. It was my last summer as a lifeguard. And we were young kids and we had a police car and a motorboat. And uh, we had a lot of fun being a lifeguard. So I took like an October start date. So I was one of the last new hires to come in. And, uh, but I got there and I said, yeah, this is, this is where I need to be. It was a uh, uh, awakening experience because you're dealing with a lot of A plus high achiever personalities and it's all get it done now. And it's, you know, it's a lot of process, a lot of discipline, a lot of training. It was great. It was an awesome first job. Did you slide right in? Did you fit in with that crowd as far as being that type A personality? Yeah, I did work hard and I did do a lot of the things. But one of the things that I learned because I had been working for so long is a lot of the people who came in, this was their first job. And they did what they were told, basically. And, you know, when you come in and you're a new person, there's some hazing that goes on maybe. You know, they sort of chuckle at everything like that. And I didn't really accept it very much. There was a time when it was Friday afternoon and I was available. I told everybody on the, you know, all the senior people, I'm available if you need help, blah, blah, blah. And I had a, I had a trip planned to leave. I had to leave at 5 to whatever, go on a trip. So at 4.45, guy comes over with a big pile. He says, hey, I need these copied. Uh, you know, they need to be done and, you know, if you don't get them done today, come in tomorrow. But I said, I told you I was available all day. They were sitting on your desk all day and you wait till 4.45. I said, I'm leaving at 5. Give it to somebody else. And he didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I had a backbone and that wasn't really understood to some of these people. And, you know, I did have some good mentors there who helped me through that. Obviously work hard and do what's asked of you. But this kind of playing around and hazing, I didn't accept it. Wow. So you bucked the trend. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he went and complained and then he got a little bit, um, I think he was told, don't ever do that again. And from that point on, I never had a problem. And I got all kinds of great job opportunities with, within Anderson, you know, the, the jobs you want to be on to work on. Because I did work hard. But I wasn't, I was a very direct and not a very, you know, I didn't play games. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn from business? Or what was, what sticks out in your mind as far as what you learned most from that first job? I was there for a long time. Uh, I, I started out as an auditor, and then I became a forensic accountant. And I was an expert witness. It turned into being an expert witness in litigation, doing business evaluation. So I sort of went off into specialty services. Because when I was in auditing for three or four years, and I made senior, and I was working with the manager, 
And he said, hey, now you know the whole cycle of auditing. Because this is everything we do. I said, there's nothing else? He said, well, once a new pronouncement comes out, we have to know what it is and everything like that. I said, this is great. Thank you very much for the education. I'm going to do something else because I just couldn't live in that world forever. There are people that can, and it's awesome. They do a great job. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy to do journal entries every week. I'm not the guy to just do the same thing every month. That's not me. There is a need for that, and it's a great need. If you mm-hmm. can do that and be happy and be uh, accurate and untimed, Super important. that is a great attribute to have. I, I can do it. I wouldn't be happy doing it. So I've learned what makes me happy and what doesn't make me happy. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I have to do it. Do what you're comfortable in. So when I slid into this role, I'm much more operational. Yeah, I'm in charge of accounting, but I'm also in charge of purchasing, production, uh, the warehouse. IT department, the returns department, they all report up to me. All the operational things report up to me. To me, that's fun. I mean, I, I'm juggling all these balls all day. That's a world I live in and I'm comfortable in. Mm-hmm. I'm very uncomfortable if everything's very quiet. Right. And I've learned that about myself and I've accepted it. And I accept what my positives are and then things I can't do. And I hire people to do the things I can't do. And I tell them, you're going to be the master at this, not me. I'm hiring you because of this because I don't do it well. Knowing what you don't do well and knowing what you do well, that's very important. And like I said, I learned if I can do it, that doesn't mean I have to. Right. So when I was young, going in the auditing track, you're following everyone else's lead. And that's okay. Um, That's great. You're doing something to move forward. But right now, if if I meet a young person who's thinking about going to school, not going to school, let's say they don't want to go to school right away, I tell them, get into sales. Do something in the sales function. So you'll learn about the company. It's a great occupation. When you're ready, if you want business, go to business and, and do that. But the sales background will help you tremendously. And I'm a pro sales CFO. I work very well with the sales department. We work together. My, my equivalent, who works with all the sales functions and marketing and engineering, we work very well together. It's a great combination. Well, if you can survive sales and get punched in in the mouth every day and lose all your teeth and come back the next day and and, yep. and ask for more, you uh, that it takes that's a strong skill. <laughs> yeah, you you just you get used to the word no a lot and you just don't stop and if it doesn't bother you, you just keep going forward and that that is a, a learned behavior. Uh, that's not something people are born with. They sort of have to learn that that you know a no is okay because mm-hmm. there's a yes coming down the road somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere. So a lot of the audience listening to this probably read the uh, the white paper on Arthur Anderson, but were you uh, were you there during the Enron scandal and, and all that? Yes. <laughs> I actually uh, worked for Anderson for my first eight years, mm-hmm. left, went into industry, um, actually went into ERP consulting. And then um, after I left that, um, Anderson recruited me back in 1999. So I joined, rejoined Arthur Anderson in 99. I left in like 93. So I was there and it was a very different firm that I left because Anderson was always very structured and very disciplined. And there were high expectations on everybody. And when you took that job, you knew those expectations. No one had to tell you they had to work hard. They had to do X, Y, Z. Very different when I came back. Hard to find people. They started recruiting finance majors instead of accounting majors. And anybody who you know, has a, a related major. 
and um, it was more people-centric than it ever was. Like, I had my old Anderson traits, and I was doing a great job. I can get it done. But as my partner said, you're leaving dead bodies in the hallway, man. These people are don't know how to deal with you because this is not this is a different firm. And um, it was it was correct in dealing better with the people, uh, but it was just hard to adjust to. And that's where we started learning that you know the softer skills and a better approach. And one of the partners who uh, counseled me said, "Listen, you know might not be great at everything. Just make it a neutral. Just make it so it doesn't hurt you. You know if you're not great at building a pyramid, just sort of step back and help other people help you build it, but don't, don't take charge and say, I'm going to build the pyramid. You know what it is. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not. Things you're not good at, make it a neutral. Just don't make it count against you. And uh, it was great advice because I use that today to people say, listen, we're not all good at everything. Just don't be bad at it. Or right. Don't, don't uh, step in something you don't want to step into. Well, I think we should do just a one spinoff podcast and just talk about the whole Enron thing and, and that whole because that that's a, that's a whole story in itself. Earlier, before it all hit the hit the press and everything like that, um, you know, we we have availability sometimes, and and there was a project, a big project that I could have been put on, and I was available, and one of the partners said, "No, you, you can't go. We we need to need him here," and I'm like, I sort of looked, you know, I did, looked at scans at it, and. Um, so I said, okay, you're, you're the partner. That's great. And I did to get out of the work. Well, I found out that the job was in Ron, and he didn't want to send me down there. He knew it was I don't know if he knew it was, uh, he, if he really wanted me or if he knew that there was some stuff going on there that they didn't want to be part of. Don't yeah. know. But it was, it was tough. It was, it was a hard thing to do. But uh, it was a great organization. Uh, it's a shame that what happened to it didn't happen to it. Um, but uh, it was fun at the end. We could do a whole spinoff of, you know, we were, we were sold. I mean, you had to wait till your group was sold to figure out where you're going. It mm-hmm. was like an auction. It was amazing. So I see KPMG. Is that where you went? From Anderson, went to KPMG, stayed mm-hmm. there for 18 months, and they said, go find somewhere else to go because you're, 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 uh, we're specialty service. So if we, if we work for a client, they can't do audits for them. We're, you know, it, it's like a, a service that is very sensitive t- to that. So we didn't always mixed with a firm. So when we're going to KPMG, we're like, why are we going from one accounting firm to the other? Because you have conflict issues. If they're an audit client, we can't do certain work. And once we do work for somebody, you can't take them as an audit client because of the test function and the independence issues. Mm-hmm. So after 18 months, they said, yeah, it's it's more of an issue than we thought. We are seeing a lot of conflicts. We're going to have to, you know, spin off. And we went to FTI, uh, bought our practice. That was another transition. It was fun. Good organization. They focused on what we did. There was no audit. The conflict issue was solved. And they did a great job. It was uh, very interesting, the different firms and how they dealt with people and how they dealt with the onboarding. Um, and then from FTI, I went back into industry. And that was with uh, Clifton Gunderson? Uh, FTI, after that, I went to uh, Scott Homes. Scott, Scott Communities. Scott Communities. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, local home builder here in Arizona owned by uh, Steve Robeson of the Robeson family. Mm-hmm. And it's a, he has a single-family residence, and he also had a multifamily arm. So I joined that, and that was uh, that was very interesting. That was my first. That's the first time I actually had an interview for a CF, for actually as a director of finance job. And I had an interview for it, and it was very interesting. So it uh, it was fun. It was I loved home building. I loved the organization. The people were great. I was there from 2004, which is it was sort of limping along. And I left in 2008 after the big bubble, 
and then the big, you know, everyone overbuilding mm-hmm. caused the uh, market to uh, have a little problem. And uh, but it was a great ride, fun ride. I loved that experience. Uh, learned a lot, so it was it was a good time. You went. You started doing the finance work. Did that come easy to you? Yeah, it yeah. was. Uh, I did a lot of financial modeling, and we had all these different communities, and I had to work with the banks on our our borrowing base to make sure we have the collateral. And then you do a request for money, and you have to show them where you are at each each house. It's own little project, and you had to sort of bring all that together into one big cash flow statement, say, how much cash do we need, what do we need, and take down from the bank and things like that. So it was uh, very fun. It was, it was a great uh, great experience. To, um, did a lot of more IT computer work there, learning how to get information out of different systems. I think they used J.D. Edwards at the time. Uh, we're very fortunate to be associated with Robeson because they had a lot of resources we could use. It made life a lot easier. And like I said, it was a great organization. It was it was a really fun time, but uh, I also became the authorized signer. And when you have to sign all contracts, you get that big pile of paper on your desk, <laughs> and you've got like a day to get through them. And it's yeah. your they real you can't electronically sign at that time. It was a real signature needed. Uh, now DocuSign has made things a little, mm-hmm. all these other packages made things a little easier, but back then we were pen to paper, and you needed like fifteen forms in every every folder you had to sign. It's just uh, that's when I decided I never want to have to sign checks, documents, or anything like that. So automating process was top of my list. There you go. To get things done. So it sounded like that job was really good training for a CFO title. It was. It was really good. A good training background. Uh, like I said, we had a lot of the resources at Rose, and they had great people who can guide you through what you need to do, um, and very gently. And it was really, uh, really good. But it also um, reinforced uh, one of the things I always say, cash is king. You can't live without cash. That's your that's your bloodline. That's your that's your lifeline. All these entries to do allocations and revenue recognition and all that stuff. It's important for the regulatory boards and SEC and things like that. But for a company to live, you need cash, and you better understand where it comes from and where it goes. If you don't understand that, you can really really find some bumps in the road that you can't get over. That's the name of our podcast. <clears throat> Cash is king. So tell me about uh, your first experience managing people. How was that? And what do you wish you knew beforehand? I wish I had better people skills. I had great technical skills. And I had great drive to get things done. Uh, I'd work 24 hours straight if I had to to get it done. I had that inherent in me. And I think I expected everybody else to do the same thing. And I really didn't know how to criticize somebody without hurting their feelings. Leaving dead bodies in the hallway. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) There was super intelligent people working there. And, you know, just because I knew how to get from A to B, it was different. We were a specialty service. It's not a book on what to do. You have to figure it out. And I'm really good at figuring it out. And, and I figured it out and said, here's what you do. You know, gave him a five-minute explanation. I was done. They're ready to go. I gave them a you know, list of questions, a list of tasks. Do it. They did, but they didn't do it the way I would have done it or what I really wanted. So I learned I don't explain myself very well. If I know something very well, I have to really slow down and just assume the person knows nothing about it 
and explain it that way and bring and make sure you're on the same level with that person to find out what the level of expertise is before you're, you set your expectations of how well they're going to do. And the other thing that uh, I did is I gave them the deadline. I never asked them how long they thought it would take to do it. So there's a lot of pressure in their mind. They'd like, oh, my God, there's 10 things I have to do, and I've got four hours. Well, how am I going to get it all done? Versus, okay, take a look at this. How long do you think it's going to take you to do and get them to commit to a deadline? If that works, great. If not, then, hey, okay, maybe there's too many tasks. Let's go ahead and figure it out. Or get halfway done, and we'll see how you're doing, and then we'll figure it out from there. Didn't know any of that. I just knew it had to get done. Partner wanted it the next day and get to it. I was not uh, people-centric. I was task-driven. Yeah, and those dead bodies were just laying in the in the hallways, and it was unfortunate, but it's you learn from it. It's a good learning experience and, and a good realization once you learn what you really are and how you how you act. And and because I'm you and I are wired exactly the same. When I'm training people, I'm like, here's what you do, boom, 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 boom. Now go do it. And I'm like, well, why can't you do it? So, yeah, we're wired very much the same. And I'm still working on that to this day. So yeah. it's uh, it doesn't go it's away. A work in progress. But you tell people that's say, listen, this is how I am. This is how I speak. And, and you know, if things are whatever, if I seem a little bit direct, raise your hand or use a code word or something like that. If it's getting to the point where, you know, whoa, what's going on? Because to tell people and be honest what you're, again, what you're good at, what you're not good at, and, and how it works. And I think you can have a much better working relationship that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about the your interview for your first leadership title. Did you, you know, how did you prepare? How did the whole thing go for you? Um, it was a whirlwind. Uh, it was um, it was held in a, I don't know if it was a hotel lobby lounge or a sort of a bar setting and it was at the end of the day and and my days are just they're they're frantic you know i mean you're you're busy i think i started work at six that morning and i'm meeting this guy at like 6 p.m and i'm in the middle of my day i'm you know i know i have pride to go back to work and finish something so i sat with this guy and and basically you know he said you've never been in this position before first thing he asked me he said you know can you get loans from banks I said, I can do that. He said, have you done that? I said, no. I said, but no, I can. I said, I've gotten a letter of credit. I said, I know what the banks want. I know that they they want to lend you money as long as you can realistically justify it. I said, and I'm really good at working with that level of people. I said, I know I can do it. I said, I, I'm not going to tell you I did it 50 times because I haven't, but I know I can. So that was sort of, it was like being brutally honest saying, I know I can do it, but I've never have. Some people might say, well, you know, I got, yeah, I've, I've got loans before. I've got plenty of loans. You know, I've got car loans, you know, house <laughs> loans, whatever. It's not the same uh, dealing with a bank in a commercial setting. Um, so it's, it's again, I, I think at that point, I was starting to realize who I was professionally. And it was very interesting. I mean, sort of looked at me like, you know, almost like he expected me to stretch it because I'm getting an interview. I really want the job. They basically said, here I am. This is what I do. I'm really good at this. If you want me, great. If not, I'll, I'll just keep moving down the road. And, um, so, but he, he hired me and there I did it. Go. And I, and I did what he wanted to do at the banks. His ROI was infinite because we were using the bank's money to do everything. So it was great. So you might have touched upon it. Obviously, I when I am prepping 
people for an interview, I'm, I'm like, honesty is 100% the most important thing because if they ask you a question and say, have you done a loan with a bank for it? And you say yes. And they break into that secondary question on that and you can't answer, you're dead. So yep. no, never have, no, but I can, right? So that's that's great advice. But what other advice would you give to somebody that's interviewing for their first leadership type role? Or let's call it an executive level role. Like I said, I, I know myself, so make sure you know who you are. Research as much as you can about the organization, the company. If you're, you know, if you, this is your first interview to intro, if you're in an interview process, I think the expectation is you know a little bit about the company and you, you can understand because when I'm in an interview, I ask people, so what do you think of our product line? What do you think we're going to do to be better? And if I get a blank stare that they haven't looked at our website, that to me is a, is a problem. Because if, if you're actually interviewing for a higher level executive or, you know, VP or director position, I think there's some expectation that you're going to take the, the initiative and really look at the company you're interviewing with and say, do I even want to interview with them? Because at that point, at that level, it's a conversation. You're not going to have your standard interview questions. You better be able to talk to those people, look them in the eye, portray who you are, what you're comfortable with, and make sure they know what that is. And if that fits with the job, great. You'll be a good placement. If it doesn't, you don't have to go down a path that might be not so much fun for a few years until you decide to go do something else. So I think it's, it's making sure you know who you are, what your limitations are, but do research on the company. Make sure you know who you're talking to. LinkedIn is great if they're on there. If no one's on LinkedIn, you might want to say, why? Ask them, why isn't anyone on LinkedIn? I couldn't find you guys. And there, there's companies that don't allow their people to be on LinkedIn. Really? For security reasons, yeah. Mm. And um, they, take, they tell people to take all the profiles down and get off because, you know, they're worried about X, Y, Z. So definitely know who, who you're interviewing, who they are, what their backgrounds are. And then they ask questions. As you said, answer them honestly. If you don't understand the question, say, I don't understand your question. I have asked questions that don't make sense to interviewees in an interview to see if they'll say, I don't know what you're asking me versus trying to make something up and trying to, they're like, oh, sorry, I asked that question wrong, you know, whatever. Uh, you see, sometimes the, how you react to a question is much more important to the than the answer you're going to give. And if you don't know it, say, at this time, I, I don't know that, but I can go find out. Or that's not something I understand. What is this? You know, can you tell me about it? One of the things I look for now um, that I didn't look for earlier in my career when I was interviewing people, I look for people hardworking, you know, sort of the, the aspects that you're looking for. If it's an accounting role or something like that, detail, all that stuff, that, that'll make them good. But I also now wouldn't hire somebody necessarily for a leadership role unless they had a great curiosity. If they're not curious about things, like I said, they should be looking at our website. They should be looking at things because in our industry, you have to move fast. And if you don't, if you're not curious about what's going on in the industry, you're going to be five years behind before you know it. You have to be just incredibly curious about how things work, where things are going, everything. You always have to be questioning if you're not that type of person, you're starting to sit back and say, status quo is good. I'm just going to sort of manage a process. And, and there's, there's companies that want that. 
but not here. You mm-hmm. have to be curious and yeah. you have to be honest. If you don't have those two traits, it's not going to work. You said one of the most important things that, and I ask every every guest along these lines, same line of questioning. What you said as far as you ask a question where it doesn't necessarily make sense and you want to see how people react. I coach people that if somebody asks you a question, you don't understand the question or you th- you just don't feel really comfortable with it, I, I coach them to say, can you please ask me that question in a different way? Yeah. And that way you're getting a better understanding because it puts the onus on the question asker that goes, oh, wait, maybe I didn't make sense. And then they explain more to you and they give you better. And then you can answer because as soon as you start answering with the wrong answer, the person that asks the question stops stops listening to you. And they're just like, I, she's not answering what I was looking for. So that's the, the, that advice is gold right there. So that's huge. Unfortunately, Tom, I was, I was late for an interview. Um, I was interviewing somebody else for a position in our purchasing department. So during the interview, I, I walked in, I apologize. I, I was just, I just couldn't get out the phone. I was, it was, it was not good to be late. It's terrible to be late, but I had to be. And, um, he said, uh, I said, what are your pet peeves? And he sat there. He said, people not being on time. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. And and just you're looking at that, and that's he's got that. He knows that he's probably putting his interview at risk because I'm the guy hiring him. But he was right. I mean, everybody knows you should be on time. Right. If your peeve is people not on time, say it. He was honest. And I think he was only, he was saying it, and he knew he was honest saying his truth. He, like, felt good about saying his truth. But then he watched him and was like, uh-oh, what did I just do? As he, I mean, we just continued the interview. It wasn't, he can tell he was fine. Mm-hmm. It, it was true. We actually, I said, you're right. I like that answer. Did you hire him? Yes. Nice. Still there. <laughs> That's fantastic. So can you think of important moves or circumstances that occurred in, in your background that you feel really propelled you to the CFO title quicker? Or alternatively, is there anything that you feel hindered your, your progression? Anderson definitely prepares you through the audit. You learn all the functions. That's, that's awesome. Um, learning, uh, I forgot what the nickname, like learning how transactions flow through a system was key for the financial. In other words, I think it was called Financial Information Systems for Accounting or something like that. It was a very hard course. That was probably like my lowest grade because the guy was really super intelligent and he was an awesome teacher, but it was hard. I mean, it was really a hard course. But learning that the transaction processing uh, was very key for me because at Anderson, that's how they started going through their their audit work. It was all, I knew it. I, I was just trained in it for four years. Um, but in, in the forensic accounting, knowing how things flow, knowing how revenue is generated, how it's billed, how it's collected, how it's you know applied, and the same thing with payables, you know how POs are created, knowing all that, when you go into a new new environment, it makes it much easier. Because if you say, I know what I need to learn, if I can learn these things, I know how the company runs. Once I know how the company runs, I can start in, you know giving some input, or at least being a part of the solution. Uh, and hopefully solving the problems that start coming about. Mm-hmm. 
You um, you said audit is so important, and and you learned, and and it was a good track for you. There's no no um, everybody knows that there's a shortage of accountants these days. More students are taking finance than accounting. Why do you have any idea why that might be? I think uh, finance gets a lot more attention in the press, if you will. It seems to be a sexier version of business than accounting. I think accounting has a an aura about it that it's, you know, green eye shades and dark rooms and long hours and you do the same thing every month and you do blah, 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 blah. But I think that whether someone now picks a finance degree or an accounting degree, if they learn the skills they need to have, it doesn't matter what's on the degree. And that's what, uh, like I said, when, when, when I went back to Arthur Anderson the second time, that was a lesson I learned is that, oh, these people are just as smart as we are and they understand, They just need a little bit more training on what we're training. It was something having to do with GAP or uh, auditing or accounting. We probably have to give them a little bit more help, but they can do all the work that we can do and they have more knowledge in certain things than we do. So understanding what that was. But I think that that it, I would say for somebody if they want finance, just make sure you get enough accounting courses to understand what the other people are doing and why they're going to drive you crazy when you get into your position. The you know controller says you can't do that. I need it over here. And like, what does it matter? One box or two boxes? Who cares? No, it's important. Well, that's part. That's how you have to meld the two to make sure you understand what the other one does. And I say same thing for accounting people. If I were to go back, I'd probably take more finance courses and more computer courses. Um, I had intro to computers. We were still using, I think it was uh, just the, one of the first IBM desktops. And it had two floppy drives in the computer room. Hey, no two, one had computers in there. Two floppy there. drives. That's, two floppy that's drives, yeah. Upgrade. So I knew how to use a computer. And at Anderson, I taught myself how to use Lotus. I became an expert in Lotus. And that's that really carried me through to my forensic accounting because I said, if you're good to computers, we can use it for a case. And that's how I got in. So I, I learned that and had the skill necessary to get into a group at the, you know, it was a low level, it was a staff or senior accountant at the time, to get into a group who needed that skill. They didn't care who I was. They said, if you can use Lotus, you know how to do all these things. I just said, yeah, I'm great at it. And they're like, wow, you're awesome at this. So they said, hey, we need you for all the other, then they started using me in more jobs. And that's how I got into forensic accounting, just because I had a skill that they needed. Because I liked it. And that, to me, was fun. Mm -hmm. How does somebody coming from uh, forensic accounting, audit, get that first title of, what was it, finance director for Scott Communities? Well, my first CFO was job with with, with, with Signature Technology Group. And it's a very interesting story because I was their expert witness in litigation uh, that that one of the former owner had with uh, the other owner. Mm -hmm. And he won the litigation. And because I knew so much about the company, how everything worked, he turned to me after he basically won the company in a litigation. He turned to me and said, hey, want to be my CFO? I'm like, sure, let's do it. So I was the expert witness in his litigation. And he said, I want you to be my CFO. He said, because you know more about this company than anyone right now, based on all the work you've done. And it was a lot of work. Unfortunately for him, it was expensive. Right. But. Um, it was my education. So when I stepped into that company, I knew how it ran. I knew what it was. I knew the transaction flow. Uh, so I could sort of step in and, and do that. Um, but then I went back into public accounting and I went through the interview that I showed you in the uh, the uh, hotel lobby. 
um, to get my first real executive job. It was sort of, it was a natural fit for me to do that first one. It was fun. Again, learning a lot and learning through all those things. It was, um, when you're in that position, people look at you as the answer. It is important to be able to give people facts, figures, certain things that you're expected to know and know them. You know, how much cash you have in the bank? How many days does it take to collect? How many, you know, how are our payables? Who needs money? When is our money coming in from our contracts? When, what day do they usually hit the bank? Knowing all those things, like the back of your hand, you have to. Because they expect you to answer those questions. Because, again, that's where you learn. Cash is king. You know, and it was really a basic business that had monthly contracts, monthly checks came in. And we did some hourly work where we built it and got those in. That was sort of extra stuff, though. But you you had to know how the business ran, the heartbeat of the business. I think I had one staff accountant at the end and a, and a sort of an assistant who helped me with all the deposits and things like that. It was interesting to get into that role and be the guy. And it really taught me that, you know, there are a lot of aspects to a business that you should understand or at least know exist before you start moving up into that role. If you don't understand it, better learn it quick. And there are things I had to learn there. There are things I had to learn in my current job that I didn't know about. And when I took my current job, I thought I'd be up to speed in a couple months. I thought it took, it took up maybe about a year to really be contributing to the organization. So when I hire somebody, I tell them, listen, you have to adjust your expectations because we are very different. We have a lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on at one time. We're a small company growing rapidly. I said, so your expectation, I said, to get up to speed where you are functioning at a high level is going to take a lot longer than you think just because of how we work. So it's, it's interesting to give people the expectation to see what it is. So did you go into Baron as with the CFO? Yes. Taking the CFO title? I was their first CFO. They really? Had never had one before. So tell me about that, the interview process and, and was it smooth or did, the How'd interview interview process itself was great. Um, I, I did a phone interview with the founder and he brought me in. And actually what happened is I was working at uh, Clifton. Now it's Clifton Larson, now it's Clifton Gunderson. The area that I was in, the work just wasn't there. They let me go. I was the last hired, so I was the first one to go. So I was unemployed. Is that the first time ever? First time since I was 13, I wasn't working. Whoa. It was weird. <laughs> but it was really good for me because I was one of those guys saying, I'm never going to retire. I'm never going to retire. I can retire. Because I was busier in that seven months with, you know, looking for a job, but also all the stuff that, that you can do in life that you probably should be doing if you're ignoring, if you're working 18 hours a day. Um, so I think it helped me a lot more with my balance of life and work and be able to separate that because I had that seven months where oh, I should be doing all these things all the time, but I ignore it because, oh, work is important. So it was interesting. So the partner who I work for at Clifton Gunderson uh, got a call from a banker saying, hey, I got the, one of my important clients looking for CFO. You know anybody? And I had met this guy, this banker. He said, oh, you know, Adam's look, Adam, I think is still out there. He's, he's looking for a position. So he sent the resume, got it to the founder, found a, and phone interviewed me. I came in. I met with the owners and the founder. Um, and, uh, I just felt the vibe of the company and I said, this is a great company. This is awesome. I really want to work here. I just, you know, really excited about it. And it wasn't because, I mean, I had plenty of other interviews, but I just, something was different about this company. So I get back and they offered me a position 
and and I had a recruiter friend. I, I I just didn't know what to do because it wasn't even in the ballpark of what a CFO should earn. I said, I really want to work here. I said, you know, I know when I get there, they'll, they'll see the value. But he said, you can't take this job. And at the time, you could still like get salary as to where you started, where you ended. And we used to be able to do that in interviews. Now it's no, because people don't do it or don't want to do it or shouldn't do it. I don't know. Yeah, you can't ask. Anyone, um, yeah. Well, you can ask. They're probably not going to answer. It's going to stand in any of business. <laughs> um, so he said, you can't because it won't make sense. He said, you can't take a position at that level. They'll say, what was wrong with you? Why did you go from this salary to half that salary to start? So I had to answer this, the founder, and he is um, a great guy, but he has a very deep voice, and he's, he has a very good, good command. So you're like, how do you answer this guy? So I got a salary survey from a well-known recruiting company and said, listen, I said, I love Baron Lighting. If you guys are really looking for controller-level people, I know a lot of people I can help you interview. Here's a salary survey for CFOs. So right now I can't take the position as offered. Thank you so much. You know, very polite, but I sent a salary survey. And I, and I talked to the, to the, he called me up. He said, oh, you know, I got information from our partner CPA firm, and I asked them, and, I, you know, we've never had a CFO before. Let us, let us get back together and get something that would work for you. Because they asked me in an interview what was important. You know, what do you, what do you want? They said, how, you know, what's important to you? I said, well, you know, salary's important. I said, I'd like an ownership interest. I said, I'd love to have equity in a company. That's a great goal of mine. And um, I'd like to do, you know, three or four other things that told what was important to me. I was actually told that equity was not on the table. I didn't like the answer, but they were honest. They said, that's not something we're going to do. We do all these other things, but it's not going to be equity. I said, okay, I'll try it out. I, you know, but again, it was what I really liked was their honesty. Because I've heard of interviews where people say, I like this, like this. Oh, we can work something out to get there someday. And it never happens. And then as years go on, you get more and more resentful that they're not doing it. At least I said, no, that's not on the table. No plan. Okay. I mean, I have other things that emulate some of that. But you find a way to work around it. And I appreciated that. I didn't like the answers necessarily. But I really appreciated their honesty. I'm still there, so yeah. something went right. 13 years, right? Is that- I know. People are freaking out. How you, know, you know, CFOs don't last that long. <laughs> and my wife is, this is the longest tenure you've had at any job. She goes, usually four or five years, you get an answer, and you're going to do something else. But I think I really found a position that works well for me. I like the people I work with. I like that it's different every day. It's exciting. It's just a vibrant culture. And it's, and it's really nice because we're starting to grow up. And it's single owner, but we're we're hitting that point where we should start catapulting to the next level. Awesome. All right. So, and I think you've already touched on this, but what would you, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? If I go back to my senior year in high school, I say, get the knee operations so they can play football. That would have changed my path dramatically. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. You look back and see decisions you made and what effect it had. I got a handwritten letter from an Ivy League football coach saying, I understand you're not playing. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I had no idea they were looking at me. But I decided not to have a reconstructive surgery on my knee back then because I knew what the recovery was. And I honestly, I was never going to be a professional football player, I didn't think. 
I didn't have the speed, just don't have the physical ability that it really requires uh, to do that. But I could have gone to a college, in a different college, and had a different path. So it's interesting to some of the decisions you make. And then my first job, when I left Anderson the first time, I could have done it better. I could have handled the situation better. I might not have left if I had done something differently, if I just confronted my manager honestly about what I thought was going on instead of holding it in and resenting them and thinking that, oh, they're putting me in a corner. They don't want me to contribute to the way I can. I should have asked more questions, but I was, I felt I was not being treated fairly or not being uh, recognized for what I do. So I left. I, you know, they, they were telling me here, we needed to do these things, not these things. And I, and I said, okay, I'll do them. I did them. I did them really well. And I was really happy. I had a meeting. There's a quarterly report meeting. And everyone was like, this is great. This is awesome. This is great. And I said, yeah, one more thing. What? I'm leaving. Like, what? I said, yeah, I'm going back to, a, I'm going to a local firm, go do more forensic accounting, go back into the main line of the business. And they were shocked. And it, they shouldn't have been. I should have done it better. I should have told them more about what I was really feeling inside versus just saying, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was your manager's fault for not asking you more and, and diving more into what makes you tick? Or was it your own? It was my own. My own manager issue. was actually very good. And, and as, as we were going through the things and the, the plan of things that I needed to do well, um, it's sort of like, if you know, I know myself, I was task-driven. Hey, this is what we need from you. This is how you have to do it. He was very good at that. And there was no, I knew what he wanted. And he, and he would talk to me about anything. He asked me if I had questions, whatever. But what I didn't do is let him know how I felt and how it affected me. And if I had told him that, he probably would have said, hey, listen, this is a temporary thing. This is something we need right now. And in my last year, six months after that, there'd be other things for you where you can fulfill that need that you're looking for. So I didn't really share my feelings with him. I just thought that they were crazy for making me do this when I could do so many other things for them. So I probably had a higher opinion of my abilities and where I thought I was necessary versus just being put where I need to be and doing a great job at it, but then telling the people, this is what I really want to do. And there could have been different opportunities for me there if I had been more honest with how it really made me feel. What an important lesson that really is because I, as a manager, am so appreciative when people come to me and they say, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on with me. This is where I want to go. I don't know that. I'm so busy in my day-to-day and I ask questions, but but if you're not honest with your manager, they'll probably never know. Right. So that lesson alone is worth its weight in gold to anybody young. Does it take a lot of strength to do that? Is it nerve-wracking? Yes. But guess what? Just practice it with somebody that you know. Script it. I always tell people, script out what you want to say and work with somebody else and say and role-play it and say, this is what I want to say to my manager. And if they, you say it a couple of times, it'll bring that anxiety down. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. But at the end, the manager really does appreciate it. Well, if you're making it about yourself and your feelings and what you see, the conversation is much easier because it's not about the person you're talking to. You're like, this is how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you did it. I'm just feeling this way. 
And they, you can't, how do you argue with somebody how they feel? Now, if, sure. if you don't say, well, you really shouldn't feel that way. That's not what we're trying to do. Let's go ahead and correct it. And that's usually what comes out. Mm -hmm. So it says, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. There's all these projects. Because when I interviewed somebody, I said, listen, how do you feel about having a to-do list that grows every day? Never gets done. It will never be done. You'll have 10 items in the morning. By the time you leave, you have 11 items. And 11 different items, maybe, but it's never going to be over. You're never going to be done with many things. How do you feel about that? And some people can't deal with it. They want to check the task off and you get it done and move on to the next thing. They don't want to keep adding to it. And there's constant things that are in the air in process. If you can't deal with that, it's probably not the right environment for you. And that's okay. Because there are plenty of environments that need people who are task-driven, who have that sense of accomplishment. And there's cultures that can live with that. Not, not at our company. You can't. Mm -hmm. um, it's much more dynamic than that. What great advice. I mean, that, that was, that was key. Um, and that's going to help a lot of people out. So I appreciate you sharing that And in, in uh, it's hard to believe, but our time is up. Wow. <laughs> that was an hour. It just flies by when you're having fun and, and you've got so much to share and I'm sure you have more to share. And if somebody that's listening to our podcast wants to reach out to you, uh, to get maybe ask you a question or something like that, how would they find you? Um, probably just send me an email. I'll give you my work email. If that's okay. Please. Uh, Adam.Miller at Baron, B-A-R-R-O-N-L-T-G.com. And they can send me a message, and then I'd be very happy to answer it and just uh, reference the show. And I know who you are because, uh, unfortunately, like you, and I wake up with you know hundreds of emails in my box, and I found a method to get get working faster, but definitely love to answer any questions. And thank you very much for having me on the show. It was really enjoyable. Absolutely. And uh, also you are on LinkedIn as am I. And so if anybody wants to reach yep. out to me, I'm very available on LinkedIn as a recruiter. I live on LinkedIn for better or worse. <laughs> and, uh, but I am also, if you just Google me, Chad Dean, integrated management, I come up number one on there. And again, thank you very much, Adam, for spending the time and, and sharing your wisdom with, uh, with our audience. And, and it was very special. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders. We encourage you to apply the knowledge and wisdom shared in these conversations to your own career. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Your feedback is important to us as we continue to bring you more candid conversations and thought-provoking insights from successful financial leaders.